the Koi Gig part. Who is this serving and what is the end goal would be kind of nice to know. I feel like we haven't had quite enough Irish bias this year, so I am quite happy to see this. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Off the ball daily. Welcome, everybody. So interesting show this evening. Stephen Reid, Republic of Ireland International, is leaving the world of football behind. He's going to focus on getting his qualifications in counselling. And we're going to chat to Stephen about his less than straightforward journey between eight and nine o'clock. Uh, we're looking forward to that conversation. So Stephen Reid with us at eight. He's now gone down the route of counselling as opposed to football management. The spectre of match fixing hangs over snooker in a big way just now. Seven players suspended pending the conclusion of an investigation. We will talk to the BBC's Shabnam Yunus Jewel this hour. She'll explain all. And there is, of course, the small matter of a World Cup semi-final. Argentina-Croatia now underway. Dion Fanning with us right across the football show. 53106, the text number where you're at off the ball on Twitter. Richie McCormick, evening. How are you, Joe? Uh, very well. Uh, listeners, before we go any further, uh, Ronan would like to make an announcement. A couple of months ago, he left off the ball to go and work for the hard shoulder. Uh, him and I have met for coffee several times. He hates it. Uh, doesn't enjoy it. Doesn't like the people he works with <laughs> in particular, he said. They're just not for him. So live on air, he is announcing his candidacy uh, to return to the next available off the ball position. Ronan, I've said too much. Jeez, you really put me, in, you put me in a difficult position there, Joe. It's, uh, uh, how are you doing? It's going more than swimmingly on okay. the hard shoulder, I'd say. From Love my, the people you work from with. From my vantage point, uh, it'd be interesting if we took that uh, straw poll outside and see what they oh, think. Yeah. But um, If members of uh, the hard shoulder could tweet me anonymously and let me know how Ronan's going, I could read them out on air. Well, listen, I think uh, there's been an uptick in sports coverage, I would say, <laughs> in the last little while. Two Irre- to three items per day now, is Irreverent it? sitcom references from the 1990s, that kind uh-huh. of thing. But, uh-huh. uh, you know. The usual, the usual shtick. How is life on the political beat then, Ron? That's good. It's uh, it's much like, like not to uh, get into the machinations of it too much, but like it's it's the same kind of process. It's a different yeah. subject matter. So like, you're kind of coming at stuff the same way and uh, much like the sports world, the political world and all that comes with that and all that it entails uh, never stops. So it's it's busy enough. I've, I mean, I've, I've worked on both as well. It's generally a lot of the same as you said, um, routines whereby everybody's talking about the same thing. It's like, how can we do it a bit differently? Yeah, and that would have been kind of a bullet point number one from when I got into off the ball as well. It was like, you know, we'd be talking about matches from Sunday that matches they covered nearly 24 hours ago. It's like, yeah. like appreciably, like the thing has to change a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's going well and it's a bit strange being back. It's like... Uh, it reminds me of when remember Beyonce did the Super Bowl and got Destiny's Child back together. It's like the dance moves were a little bit out of sync for the first little first few numbers. But I think me, you and Richie can uh, by the end of this news round, I think we'll be. Are you trying to say you're the Beyonce of this thing? No, well, you're clearly the Beyonce. Joe. Richie, <laughs> I'll take Kelly Rowland. I'll take Kelly Rowland. <laughs> oh, come on. Don't, Richie, don't you're the other one. You're the other one. Oh, Jesus. What is the other one? Harsh. Oh, come on. This okay, is harsh. Sorry. This is harsh now. If Michelle is listening, he said. Michelle, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, okay, she, okay, okay. She, she, yeah, she's mad into her Christian albums, so I don't know how that tallies with me either. Well, not well, I would say. No, not for no, not really. No. So, give us <sighs> Ronan Mullen's broad take before we get into Newsround on World Cup twenty two. Well, like much like everybody else, you you only see what you're permitted to see. As in, you know, the the schedule has been a dream in in the sense that there's games on all day, but yeah. for half the day, most people don't see at least fifty percent of the games. 
But well, from what I have seen, it took a little while to get going, but the quality of football has been really high. And I'd say it's no coincidence that, and I'm sure you've covered it uh, ad nauseum, but the the fact that it's mid-season, it's not the end of a long, laborious uh, churn for these players. Like we look at through the England lens and I know a lot of players make, th- or a lot of ex-players are making that point that they got to World Cup and as much as the the headiness of it and, you know, the esteem of being selected, all that kind of stuff will get you a certain way. You're running on fumes by the end of the group stages mm-hmm. and like that's true, true of all teams. It's a survival of the fittest. But I think the, the quality of football has been really high as is evidenced by the Croatia team, for example, with sporting a good few 30 plus year olds that have gone back to back extra times and while they were wilting a little bit in those games it's not as if they they look any worse for it so um, that'd be the n- number one point and then Miguel Delaney has been one of the MVPs of the thing pre and during the tournament in terms of calling out obviously all that goes with the Qatar World Cup but he wrote an interesting article about how identity in football has become a bit blurred where most teams play the same kinds of football he, I think he, he pegged it in a few different categories but what what always struck me about international football, especially in the last two tournaments, I don't know if if club football's become so homogenous that at least international football brings with it that natural identity. Yeah. And it was borne out so beautifully by that Netherlands Argentina game where, you know, as much as there was a bit of spite there and niggle, it was it that was an upshot of how much both teams wanted to win. It wasn't as if these came in with any preconceived animosity or anything like that um, and I think that was just one so- small sample size of what's been great about this tournament on there, the field. There was, a, there was a, a, a correlation I think between Miguel's article and how the World Cup was played out and I'm, that quote I remember Jack Charlton coming out with when he was asked about Ireland's style of play and he said that he went to the I think it was the 86 World Cup because he was just installed in the February of that year wasn't it um, and he said that everybody played the same and everybody was playing out from the back and everybody was passing it and even like watching the group stages it struck me that it's, this is a World Cup that was crying out for somebody to to get it launched. As ugly as that would be, like like genuinely, I think that teams, one or two teams, could have profited from doing that. And to an extent, some teams have benefited from sitting back a little bit and breaking on the counter and uh, taking it from there. Morocco would be one of those. But like there is a certain uh, homogenous nature to how football is being played on the international front that could do with a little bit of upsetting. I think and can do with a little bit of a, a random force coming in and, and doing something a little bit different and shaking things up a bit because like it is nice and it is pleasant a lot of it and it is you know high quality uh, if you want to use those terms but I don't know maybe something a little bit more direct would be uh, would be needed because if you keep going down this path then you're going to have diminishing returns all the way along and yeah I think we can probably do without that so maybe maybe we need a chart and figure to come in after this World Cup uh, be it for Ireland or for, or for somebody else, just uh, just to to rattle a few cages, as the man says. I think the defining aspect for me has just been the drama. Mm. From the final round of group stages, every single night was extraordinary. Last 16 was very, very good. And then the quarterfinal, the four quarterfinal games were off the charts. So the twists, the turns, I mean, I, the moment the Netherlands scored that free kick in the dying seconds, the loudest of screamed. It was involuntary uh, watching football. I wasn't at a joy. I wasn't up for the Netherlands or against mm. Argentina. It was just for the moment, the madness of the moment, the nature of the goal. It was co- completely involuntary. Um, so I just think I'll remember the World Cup on the field. I mean, the whole thing is still a disgrace. Yeah. I don't think we're getting away from that. But on the field, I think I'll remember it as a very dramatic World Cup. That Argentina-Netherlands game 
because it crystallizes much of what you're talking about there uh, beyond just that one moment. But the way the Netherlands rallied back and Argentina were almost holding on to Richie's point about the tactics, they obviously went very agricultural with their approach. And for some reason, when they got it back to 2-2, like went away from that. And you're yeah. like... Van Dijk went straight back into defence. Yeah, because you're like... It was like a champion boxer in round 12. Argentina were hanging on. Let's try and get to the final whistle here. Final bell, as it were. And then for rounds 13, 14, 15, Argentina played all the football and really, like, we're deserving winners ultimately if you're going on the balance of play and going down to that quote-unquote lottery of a penalty shootout. I think they were the more deserving team and it'll be interesting to see if they can, uh, like, obviously, if Messi, Messi lifting that World Cup in Qatar, uh, the ramifications of that and that being the, you know, the associated image of the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I think most people have mixed feelings about that, but at yeah. the same time, having followed it, his career for... Well, it would make it iconic if he wins this World Cup. 86 is iconic because of Maradona. If, if Messi wins, it makes it an iconic World Cup on the pitch. The opening 11 minutes between Argentina and Croatia, I know you're not watching it, I'm watching it and ignoring you. Croatia owning the ball. Mm. Croatia massively undervalued coming into this game. I mean, Argentina odds on. Croatia as, not to bring everything back to betting, I appreciate some people don't want to hear betting odds, but uh, we're as high as three and four to one to win this match in 90 minutes. That is crazy. That is they've not, they've, crazy. They've no goal scorer, though. And that's the thing that I think is going to separate these two semifinals is that, you know, Argentina do have lads in Julian Alvarez and a couple others off the bench who can who can find the net for sure. And I think France obviously are the same with a certain K Mbappe uh, and Olivier Giroud, if you want to factor him into that as well. Whereas the other two teams are very much... Let's see what we can get out of these games. Let's no, see sure, how long. but three and four to one. I I, I just think given the, given the nature of race, I, yeah, I think it is. I think it is in terms Imagine of you how, and how the tournament were, we're running the hundred meter sprint, and I made you four to one. You'd be outraged. You'd be, you'd be pretty. I would. It'd be, it'd be pretty. You'd be 20, 20, 25, 30 to one. I think even <laughs> what, one what are the odds on both not finishing? Um, <laughs> all right, um, all right. Sorry, we have to. Uh, let's press on for a cup of tea in the middle. <laughs> so at the moment, it's what Argentina thirty three percent and Croatia 54% possession and then they, they now do that 13% contested which is a new development in possession just give me the possession yeah please like you'll remember the, the last World Cup where Croatia obviously did a number on, on Argentina and one of my abiding off the ball memories while we're on the subject Joe uh, John Giles watching the game outside in oh. between slots and Purring. Modric I think it's the Argentina game sorry correct me if I'm wrong but I think, he, I th- yeah, I he think jinxed was, yeah. past Modric jinxed past the an oncoming midfield player closes him down just smashes it into the bottom right corner John Giles stands up and applauds yeah I'm like that was beautiful you know he's still jinking by players even at four years later he's just been a joy the Brazil game was extraordinary genuinely he was just off the charts uh, we got to press on 14 minutes on the clock Argentina nil Croatia nil the news round brought to you which let labs for an effortless finish to your day and uh, this is a record breaking evening for Lionel Messi well, record equaling, yeah. He's equal Lothar Matthias's record of 25 World Cup finals appearances. He could well set a new record if they reach the final. He started for Argentina in that semi with Croatia. Uh, the teams in full see Emi Martinez starting goal for Argentina. Back four of Nahuel Molina, Christian Romero, Nicolas Sotomendi and Nicolas Taliafico. In midfield, it's Rodrigo de Paul, Leandro Paredes, Enzo Fernandez, and Alexis McAllister with Messi in support of Julian Alvarez up front. Croatia unchanged from their uh, semi-final or quarter-final victory on penalties over Brazil. So Dominic Livakovic, uh, one of the star performers of the tournament, continues in goal. Back four of Josip Juranovic, Dejan Lovren, Josko Gvardiol, and Borna Sosa. Luka Modric captains the side from midfield with Marcelo Brozovic and Mateo Kovacic either side. 
Uh, Mario Pasalic, Andre Kramaric and Ivan Perisic are their front three. While Dio Upamecano and Adrian Rabio are doubts for France in tomorrow's semi-final with Morocco. Both players missed today's training session with cold-like symptoms. Upamecano also set out yesterday's session and he could well be replaced by Liverpool defender Ibrahima Konate. Uh, meanwhile, World Rugby this afternoon uh, frantically organising a conference via Zoom and various other means. Yeah, massive, massive story this in the world of rugby. World Rugby's executive committee meeting this evening to discuss the future of their vice chairman, Bernard Laporte. The president of the French Rugby Federation has been handed a two-year suspended prison sentence, having been found guilty of various charges of corruption. Laporte has also been banned from rugby for the same length of time and fined €75,000. His lawyer, Jean-Pierre Versini, described the crux of the matter as a, quote, and earmuff this one if you need to, a bullshit contract that was signed at the wrong time while maintaining his client's innocence. Montpellier owner and France main sponsor, Moed Altrad, was given an 18-month suspended sentence and fined €55,000 for attempting to bribe Laporte. Laporte, though, will remain as FFR president until his planned appeal is seen through. Yeah, big story for various reasons. We will get into the weeds of that tomorrow on Wednesday Night Rugby. Jay Thorney and I was going to be along, so we'll try and extract some of the uh, meaning in all of this. Andy Dunn's going to be in tomorrow as well. So, The GOAT? Indeed. He has lowered himself to watching... Champions Cup rugby this weekend in a bid to come on with us well like it's um, his analysis to be fair it all it almost seemed to preempt things even um, whether he intended them intended them to or not like there was stuff he was saying a couple of years ago that has been sort of borne out not that he's proving to be or claiming to be the oracle or have a crystal ball but he kind of saw he put his finger on a trend of the way rugby was going at a time when everybody thought it was going the other way and um, the World Cup and I suppose latterly the Lions Tour which let's not speak about that again Yeah, I think he was he was proven right so to get him talking to rugby any sort of rugby Joe is, is a good thing yeah for sure and uh, do him and Jerry have any previous because they're, they're they've they've turned out to be such a team I know well they've uh, only done it twice world. together they've only done it twice together but they instantly established themselves as a, a there's duo there's a natural chemistry there, there there's is. a natural chemistry there it's beautiful game respects game yeah absolutely have they got nicknames for each other yet I think that's maybe a fair point to raise tomorrow. Uh, well, Dunner is the obvious one. <laughs> Dunner. G&T. G&T. Yeah. It's right there. Yeah. There's a podcast in it. I'll uh, raise that with them tomorrow and see. But yeah, they only... A G&T with Dunner. <laughs> uh, that is tomorrow. So we'll, we'll dig into the Laporte situation, I presume. Um, World Rugby will have to say something after their meeting this afternoon. Uh, meanwhile, Munster announced a raft of new contracts. Yeah, doing plenty of business today. Andrew Conway, Jack Crowley and Jack O'Donoghue have all signed new two-year deals with Munster. All three will remain with the province until at least the summer of 2025. However, John Ryan is leaving Munster for a second time at the end of his short-term deal next month. The prop was offered an extension, but he has decided to explore his options elsewhere. 17 minutes gone, still nil all between Argentina and Croatia. The stadium is 98% full of Argentinian fans. I guess that's been a big advantage for Argentina throughout this tournament and definitely feels the case now I can see a handful of Croatian jerseys but no more same against Netherlands there were like yeah. 200 yeah, in orange behind one of the goals and that was about it yeah not that like we're <laughs> putting the pom-poms on for a beautiful spectacle in Qatar but like you'd like to think whomever's in the final be it like one of the lesser supported teams like Croatia 
uh, versus you'd, like I, I presume uh, Morocco and France would bring what would Croatia and Morocco be like oh here it is someone tweeted well a finish nil nil early exactly. in the tournament <laughs> said, sorry I'd forgotten about that yeah, game if, this, yeah. if someone told you then this was a vaguely feasible final mm. you would have been surprised but um, and Morocco have been incredible and like Hakim Ziyech like his story in a nutshell is quite interesting in that he'd fallen out of favour so massively with the previous coach who was bombed out like a hundred days ago yeah and you know he's obviously been the catalyst of the whole thing and like I, I've saw I've seen him play once live and I don't know if you ever had the experience of just having your whole opinion of a player changed on the basis of seeing them yeah, live it once happen. it does happen because I was quite low to the touchline and he was playing for Chelsea on the right wing and he was just he's not the quickest but he always had time and space and the reason for that is because he was so intelligent took up the right positions and you're like so ever since then I'm like this guy deserves to be on the world stage in in a big way and yeah. like there's no bigger way than tomorrow. Yeah, it's funny how different environments can bring something out in a player because he's definitely at a great tournament, there's no doubt. Uh, so, more news from the Ulster defeat to Sale. Yeah, the fallout from that humiliating loss uh, continues for Ulster. Prop Andy Warwick has been cited for a dangerous tackle on Manu Tuolagi that took place during Sunday's game. Warwick wasn't punished at the time and he'll face a disciplinary committee on Thursday. Ulster play host to defending champions La Rochelle on Saturday evening. Andy Friend was talking today. Certainly was, yeah. Uh, Connacht must plan without a host of players for Friday's Challenge Cup meeting away to Breve. Mac Hansen remains out with a leg injury with the hope that he can return for next week's URC meeting with Ulster. Dylan Tierney-Martin is being assessed for an elbow problem while Josh Murphy is following the return to play protocols. However, Connacht's director of rugby Andy Friend says squad rotation has in fact worked in their favour so far this season. It's certainly been a change from last year and last year we... We didn't do anywhere near as much rotation, um, but that's working for us this year. I'll give Pete Wilkins a, a compliment there. He's he's uh, he's managing that um, that squad well. The way we work it is you know, Pete selects the team. He needs to show it to me, but he's got really good um, logic behind the way he's selecting that side at the moment. And and uh, most players um, are getting a chance. I said <laughs> whenever you announce a twenty three, there's always going to be with a squad of forty. 44 is always going to be you know, 21 blokes who aren't so happy, but um, it's well explained to them. Uh, most are very, very aware that um, uh, we are looking to, to give opportunity to everybody. Now, Ross Munley, we salute you. Yeah, indeed. Ross Munley says the time is right for him to quit inter-county football. The Arles Kilcrews clubman helped Leash win a Leinster title famously in 2003, having been given his debut that year by Mick O'Dwyer. Munley turns 40 next week and says that now is the right time to go. 40? He still comes in the office looks about 28. I know. Disgusting. And, uh, like, just the, the, the sheer breadth of that career, like, my GA knowledge spans his entire career as in he's been there ever since I've been watching it like yeah. so it's uh, any any of my Leeds friends he's always the reference point is Ross Monley coming back next year kind of thing and he's always he's he's gone from being like uh, the flash young thing in yeah. that, like I'm so glad he was in that phase of Leinster football where it was still a feasible thing for a county like Leeds to win the championship well interestingly with his retirement now there is not a single active inter-county player outside of Dublin with a Leinster medal mm. He was the last one Oof, who, was, famous, who was still playing, who wasn't from Dublin, who had a Leinster medal. So not a single player in Leinster outside of Dublin has a Leinster medal at the moment. Yeah, because like we would have, as a family, like we would have done a lot of trips within Ireland during the summers. And like you remember Westmead winning Leinster as well and just yeah. going through those counties. And the Kildare. 
Well, can, well listen. Come on. The pageantry uh, of Kildare. The pageantry. Of course, the pageantry of Kildare. Of Kildare. But like, that's a uh, that's not, a long time ago. Not now. to say it's non-existent, but you you drive through those counties during the Leinster Championship now, you wouldn't even know there was a competition they were affiliated with. Hope has been extinguished. I think it's unfortunately true to say. Yeah. So like, just a hell of a player, and like, yeah. he would have shone for any county, and you know, regardless of. Um, levels or stratas within the game or that are being derived at the moment he would have been in his prime he would have been in the top tier so a uh, hell of a career yeah to sustain 20 years Richie I mean the mind boggles at that yeah I mean even talking about the managers that he's he's been through like to be like we, we you see stuff about Mick O'Dwyer now and, and obviously he's uh, very advanced in years and um, he was still a manager and giving people like Ross his, his debut back in the early 2000s and that's the breadth of the career that he's had and like you say preserved himself brilliantly an absolute model of what an inter-county footballer should be completely dedicated to his county completely dedicated to his craft um, and uh, yeah uh, to add to it as well and not that it matters much I guess in an inter-county career an absolute gent to deal with uh, down through the years too so anytime Ross has been in it's always been uh, a pleasure uh, so we wish him well in his his post intercounty career which I'm sure will still manage to be equally busy be nice to think that he didn't preserve himself and wasn't very <laughs> professional and just had incredible genes but was hard drinking hell of a metabolism binge eating <laughs> just uh, rock solid couldn't be stopped yeah. Famously, he's going to be like a Wesley Schneider type figure yeah. yeah he's like a Wesley Schneider figure as soon as he retires it's like right where's the crisps let's check in with him in 12 months let's just see yeah yeah so uh, <laughs> well we must get him in for a chat I'm sure he's got some amazing memories so we'll try and do that in the next couple of days uh, meanwhile Neymar has stopped crying uh, yeah, he has been acquitted of fraud and corruption over his transfer to Barcelona from Santosh in 2013. The attacker, who's currently, of course, with Paris Saint-Germain, was accused of intentionally hiding the value of the deal. Brazilian company DIS believed it was owed more money due to being the partial owner at the time of player rights. Uh, if that is the end of Neymar, what do we say of his Brazil career? Equally in Pele's goal-scoring record. 2013, is that right? Since the Santos transfer? Because, like... Yeah. He's one of the first players, Joe, I don't know if you had the same experience of like the YouTube, the player you knew all about before he arrived in real life. So Neymar was one of the, one of the ones that made good on that promise. Mm. So like there was obviously the Freddie Adu era. There was plenty of, uh, <laughs> there was plenty of football manager players. Uh, people probably text in. Carlison. Yeah. Yes. Can you remember Carlison? The, the, the lad who could balance the thing on his nose like a seal. That's the one. But everyone thought he was going to be class. So uh, he, yeah. He's like exhibit A if I'm talking about Joe. A guy who yeah. like nominally had the same talent as Neymar was really nowhere close. Yeah. But Neymar, like I kind of find it hard to really stick the boot into him because he's appointment viewing. And as a sports fan, that's what you want. Like mm-hmm. you're tuning, you will tune in if, say it's a Champions League night, and you're not too fussed on either game. If Neymar's playing in one of them, you're going to watch that one. Equally, um, international football, like he brings the thing alive. Like you were there in Brazil, and sure, he was even as a baby back then. He was incredibly irritating back no, then. No, but the icon like had already <laughs> been derived. Yeah. Well, to what extent he's irritating? I think that's beyond doubt. Like the Netflix documentary um, paints yeah. that picture pretty clearly, but. Like, I thought the the game the other day was such a nailed on juxtaposition of the two sides of Neymar. Like the the goal was just wizardry of the highest order. It really was. It was such brilliance. I found myself thinking because I am I'm just all out on Neymar. I think he's he's everything that's wrong. Yeah, but like with a, with a professional footballer. But with that goal, mm-hmm. which was so brilliant, I did find myself thinking, on fairness. If that goal takes them past Croatia and he has another moment or two or three like that and Paris Brazil to win a World Cup, I'm going to have to revisit my take on Neymar. 
So these are the mar- the margins to be yeah. fair to him. And you only had ten minutes thinking like that before you realised he wasn't going to take a penalty because he wanted to wait to get all the. Oh, glory. listen! I felt very comfortable then in my previous mm-hmm. Neymar stance. All was confirmed with the penalty shootout. But he's had moments like dotted through his career, like before he went to PSG when he eliminated them almost single-handedly. Well, did, did, I mean that night, that four-four, whatever. What was what was the score that night? I think did they win. Did they score five on the night? Maybe was it six two or something? something I can't remember. Crazy. But I mean, when the ball came back to him and he hits that chip, just that dink to set up the goal. I mean, he's like, like he's a gifted. He is a gifted footballer. Yeah, that doesn't mean he's a footballer I have all that much respect for. And that was like in that Barcelona team needed to say a galaxy of stars. And for whatever reason, he was the one that came to the fore that night when they needed him most. And do you know it's hard to, and like again, uh, we probably don't have time to cover it. Uh, we don't totally the um, his his entire career, but like. When you're on that when you're on that path from such a young age and the parameters are such that you know you're bound for superstardom and there's everyone around you telling you likewise. No, excuse you. And to be fair, we I mean his club career still remains to be fully written. If this is his Brazil career, mm. to be fair to him, that was an amazing goal against Croatia. It's certainly like it's not you couldn't say he didn't deliver to some extent in this World Cup and then the last World Cup he was very unlucky with the timing of injury so wasn't at full fitness and obviously he was put out of the 2014 World Cup with injury so to be fair to him there has been a degree of bad luck about his World Cup yeah. experience there is, there's, a, there's a chance it's possibly a slimmer chance than we would have thought but by the next World Cup comes around it's not it's not quite four years. I don't think he's professional enough. Not true, but like he might be a slightly off-Broadway figure by then, like starting in the team, but the likes of Vinicius Jr. might have risen to Maybe. a point of prominence where he's a complimentary player. And that might be the way, the vehicle to get him there if he has to accept, unlike Ronaldo, that you know his powers have waned. Mm. But sure, time will tell on that score. Time will tell. We have the English Open. We are talking about snooker this hour and it's fair to yeah. say the match-fixing investigation is overshadowing things, but the English Open is progressing nonetheless. It is, yeah. It's reached the first round proper. Uh, well, it did, in fact, last night with a couple of ties, but uh, generally today has been uh, the day of first round action. And Mark Allen uh, faces Dylan Emery of Wales this evening in Brentwood. Already today, there have been will- wins even for Mark Selby, Judd Trump, Neil Robertson and Ding Junhui. Bournemouth have new owners? They do indeed, yeah. Black Knight Football Club, maybe the RT Purple fans, owned by American Bill Foley, have paid £100 million for the English South Coast Club. Previous owner Maxime Deman had sold his 100% stake, having spent 11 years in charge of Bournemouth during that time, uh, taking them back to the English top flight. £100 million for Bournemouth? Is, yeah. that, is that quite good value when clubs are going for billions? Yeah, it is good value. And I, I always wonder what is entailed in a transfer like this because you'd think even the real estate I know Bournemouth's not the most glamorous stadium um, yeah, you'd have to do a job in the stadium and, and maybe the stadium is small because the fan base in the uh, area the location's is not too bad either it's like just 100 million in comparison with the what was Chelsea it's a Premier League two club 2 billion like, 3 billion 3 billion yeah. yeah I think we could have got together we could have come up with 100 million remember, remember <laughs> Aston Villa Aston Villa were floating around on, on the market there a couple of years ago when there was a real fire sale. And it was okay. literally like, you'd, you'd buy Matt Target for less. Yeah. You know maybe, I mean? maybe there is a, just a colossal drop-off after the super clubs, perhaps. You know, maybe the su- super clubs increase in value, whereas those lesser clubs like Bournemouth, you know, it's a kind of a, how do you make a small fortune, start with a big fortune and buy Bournemouth, that kind of a, it's going to take all your money. Well, I don't know. I'm just curious. I thought 100 million seemed reasonable in the context of football clubs. Um, we are pretty much done. Richie, give me a score prediction. What are we saying? 
I think we're going the distance with this one. Yeah, uh, and I, I don't think it'll be much. I think I think one one tops, uh, but I won't be surprised if it's goalless. Me neither. And who are you backing on penalties? <laughs> Croatia. If it, gets the pe- if it gets the penalties, I'm, I'm back in Croatia. If yeah. I'm being honest, yeah. Uh, the goalkeeper is just too much of a, a factor in the. Uh, their technique's just too good. Mm. Take them yeah. all day; I won't miss. What are you saying? I think Argentina will get the job done in a in a game where Croatia dominate the ball. I think they just have they have more moments, players, and you know these ga- these semi-finals are typically so conservative that it will take yeah. a bit of ingenuity. And I think Argentina just have more individuals. Well, we'll see how it plays out. Thirty minutes gone; it's still nil all. Croatia dominating possession. I would say no guilt-edged chances just yet. Richie, go and watch it. Enjoy. Thank you very much. Cheers, lads. Uh, Ronan Mullen. Farewell to the hard shoulder. Welcome back to <laughs> Off the Ball. Uh, no, thank you for filling in. It's been a pleasure. Short Thanks, notice. Man. Thank you.